Psalm 24, uh, verses 3 through 6. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has, a clean, who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Please open your Bibles with me to uh, the book of Leviticus. Today we're going to be looking at Leviticus chapter 16, uh, the Day of Atonement. And as you turn there, I I want us to spend a minute uh, just kind of getting our our minds and our hearts into the feel of the text. let's, Let's let the drama of Leviticus press in on our minds and our hearts this morning. The story of Leviticus actually begins all the way at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis, Genesis chapter 1 and 2 in the Garden of Eden, a place of warmth and welcome and intimacy. It was where Adam and Eve dwelled with God and enjoyed his presence. But then the horrors of sin happened. Tragedy came upon humanity and our first parents were exiled from the garden and pushed out from God's presence. But even in that moment, when God was sending his people away from him, in his mercy promised that he would make a way for them to come back. And that promise is the book of Leviticus. In in the book of Leviticus, we find that God has made a way. He's made a way for us to come back through sacrifices through the the work of the priests. And then finally, in Leviticus chapter 9, God shows up in the midst of his people. It's amazing worship, uh, worship service, a day of celebration and gladness. But almost immediately after that, tragedy strikes again. Leviticus 10, Nadab and Abihu, Aaron's two sons, try to barge into God's presence uninvited and in an unauthorized manner, and they died. And then immediately after that, in Leviticus 11 through 15, God spends all of those many chapters, 11 through 15, diagnosing ritual and spiritual impurity. And so by the time that we get to Leviticus 16, the people are longing for a fresh start. It's sort of like how your house feels after a long winter. The windows have been shut for months. Uh, Decay has built up, dust has found all sorts of hidden places to hide. And so by the time that spring comes around and the sun starts shining and you start to feel a little bit more vitality creeping into you, your house is practically begging, clean up. It's time to clean up. It's time to target those forgotten corners and all of those hidden places. This place needs a fresh start. And our hearts are like our homes. Every single one of us has hidden places, places where sin and disappointment and doubt have built up. And so we can appreciate the longing that the people felt at this transition from chapter 15 into chapter 16. We too need a fresh start. 
Well, Leviticus chapter 16 has some really good news for us. God promises us a fresh start. God's word targets those areas of sin with a message of grace. It's cleaning day. It's cleaning day, says the Lord. And by the end of it, at the end of cleaning day, you will be clean indeed. The Twitter version of my sermon is simply this. Our sins are great, but God's mercy is greater. So receive forgiveness with great reverence. And with that in mind, let's hear now God's holy word, Leviticus chapter 16. Please join me there now. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they drew the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron your brother not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that's on the ark so that he may not die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. But in this way, Aaron shall come into the holy place with a bull from the herd for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen coat and shall have the linen undergarments on his body. And he shall tie the linen sash around his waist and wear the linen turban. These are the holy garments. He shall bathe his body in water and then put them on. And he shall take from the congregation of the people of Israel two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. Then he shall take the two goats and set them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting And Aaron shall cast lots over the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for Azazel. And Aaron shall present the goat on which the lot fell for the Lord and use it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell for Azazel shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over it, that it may be sent away into the wilderness to Azazel. Aaron shall present the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. He shall kill the bull as a sin offering for himself and he shall take a censer full of coals of fire from the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of sweet incense beaten small and he shall bring it inside the veil and put the incense on the fire before the Lord that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is over the testimony so that he does not die. And he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the front of the mercy seat on the east side. And in front of the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring its blood inside the veil and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling it over the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. Thus, he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleannesses of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions, all their sins. And he shall do for the tent of meeting, which dwells with them in the midst of their uncleannesses. No one may be in the tent of meeting from the time he enters to make atonement in the holy place until he comes out and has made atonement for himself and for his house and for all the assembly of Israel. 
Then he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it. And he shall take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar all around. And he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times and cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleannesses of the people of Israel. And when he has made an end of atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall present the live goat. And Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions, all their sins. And he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. The goat shall bear all their iniquities on itself to a remote area, and he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. Then Aaron shall come into the tent of meeting and take off the linen garments that he put on when he went into the holy place and shall leave them there, and he shall bathe his body in water in a holy place and put on his garments and come out and offer his burnt offering and the burnt offering of the people and make atonement for himself and for the people and the fat of the sin offering he shall burn on the altar. And he who lets the goat go to Azazel shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water and afterward he may come into the camp and the bull for the sin offering, and the goat for the sin offering, whose blood was brought in to make atonement in the holy place, shall be carried outside the camp. Their skin and their flesh and their dung shall be burned with fire, and he who burns them shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and afterward he may come into the camp. And it, is a, it shall be a statute to you forever." That in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict yourselves and shall do no work, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest to you, and you shall afflict yourselves. It is a statute forever. And the priest who is anointed and consecrated as priest in his father's place shall make atonement wearing the holy linen garments. He shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary, and he shall make atonement for the tent of meeting and for the altar, and he shall make atonement for the priests and for all the people of the assembly. And this shall be a statute forever for you that atonement may be made for the people of Israel once in the year because of all their sins. And Aaron did as the Lord commanded Moses. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, we, we thank you for this tremendous message of grace on display, a, a message of comprehensive forgiveness. And so I've I pray now that you would illuminate your word to us through the Holy Spirit and that you would speak to us. I ask that you would dwell with us even now in intimacy so that we would be able to sense your presence close by, drawing out those hidden places in our hearts, speaking to the, the places that we have, have tried to wall off from you and keep separate from ourselves. 
I pray that you would gently expose those to our hearts and our souls and our minds so that we would be brought to deeper confession and in the end, deeper uh, intimacy with you through that. Please be with us now. Speak to us, O God, and confirm these great promises to us. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. So the, the first thing that you need to know whenever anyone says it's cleaning day is that there's something to clean. Uh, before we can feel the, the sense of wonder at our redemption, it's important for us to feel the weight of our sins. According to Leviticus 16, our sins are great. Our sins are great. Listen to the number of words that God uses in this text to describe our sin, to name our sin. Verse 16, then he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleannesses of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions, all their sins. And then we hear in verse 21, Aaron shall lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel. And all their transgressions, all their sins. This is practically a thesaurus of sin. God is leveraging a wide range of vocabulary to impress upon his people the comprehensive wrongness of sin. We hear about uncleanness. Un uncleanness is moral impurity. Transgression is Rebellion against God's rule and reign. Iniquity is, is wickedness, evilness. Evilness that describes our desires, our thoughts, our actions. Iniquity, evil, sin. Even the word sin tells us that we've missed the mark. It's a, it's a missing of the spiritual mark of God's righteousness. Sin is a moral failure. And then look at the vivid pictures used to portray sin in this passage. Four animals lost their lives. And then a fifth was driven out into the wilderness. There were multiple washings that you heard throughout this text. Aaron had to bathe his entire body twice. The one who takes the goat out into the wilderness uh, to Azazel. We don't really know what the word Azazel means, but the purpose of the goat is clear. He's taking the goat to represent how far God is taking our sins from us. And when he comes back from that place of wilderness, the place that is cut off, he must wash himself. The one who burns the carcasses of the sacrifices after they have been offered to the Lord then has to bathe his entire body when he returns. All of these multiple washings. And there's a lot of blood Blood is sprinkled everywhere in the tabernacle, from the innermost sanctuary all the way until the outermost altar. And then there's the goat, two hands pressed down onto the head of the scapegoat. The goat then driven out from the camp into what verse 22 calls a remote area, or another translation for that would be an area that is cut off. And these vivid images of, of washing and sacrifice and blood and, and an animal being driven out to a cutoff place, it teaches us the horror of sin. Sin is costly. Sin contaminates. 
and pollutes us. Sins, corruption spreads, and it it clings to us like a virus and like mold. Sin is a moral burden that weighs upon us, and sin's penalty is exile. It's being driven out from God's presence. The penalty, ultimate penalty of of sin is, is death. And then here the strict prohibitions on Aaron. We hear in verse 2, tell Aaron your brother not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark so that he may not die. Verse 6, Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. In verse 4, we hear that he's supposed to take off the holy, priestly, royal-looking garments and put on simple garments in order for him to come into God's presence. And then when he comes into God's presence, verse 13, he's supposed to put incense on the fire before the Lord that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that's over the testimony so that he does not die. Just imagine all of that. Aaron is the high priest of Israel. Aaron is the most holy person in all of Israel. And even he cannot just come into the presence of the Lord. He can only come into the presence of the Lord once a year. And and only after he has, has stripped himself, washed himself, put on the humble garments of a servant... Only when he has made a sacrifice for his own personal sins, only when he has covered himself and covered the glory of the Lord with the smoke of the incense so that he doesn't actually see the full glory of the Lord. Otherwise, he will die. Sin is that serious. And so when God says it's cleaning day, he's not wiping away a few moral smudges a few pesky tendencies or or tiny mistakes. No, we're talking about treason, moral, spiritual treason against the, the high king of the entire world. We're talking about a wickedness that spreads and infects and contaminates. We're talking about moral evil that deserves exile and that deserves death. Brothers and sisters, our sins are numerous, and they are terrible. Our sins are great. Maybe you need convincing of that this morning. Uh, some of us are conditioned uh, to, to think that we're not that bad, uh, that the problem is more out there uh, than, than in here, that our foibles aren't serious, and that the blame really lies with other people who provoke us to certain behaviors. And if that's you this morning, I would urge you, consider this spiritual diagnosis of your sins. No matter how insignificant they seem to you, or no matter how small they seem in comparison to the sins of other people, in God's sight, your sins are great. It's like finding a cockroach in a bowl of soup. Uh, It doesn't matter how small it is, that entire bowl of soup is ruined. Your entire meal is ruined. The only proper response to that is is rejection. You send it away. You throw it away. Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. 
Your sins are great, and you need forgiveness. Of course, others of us are more predisposed towards guilt and shame. If, if that's you, it's easy for you to admit that you're a sinner. So easy, in fact, that it's the only thing you see about yourself. And, and you've become so defined by the reality of your sin that you begin to lose hope. And if that's you this morning, then take some time to agree with this passage. Your sins are great, but don't stop there. Because the text doesn't stop there. Our sins are great, but God's mercy is greater. God's mercy is greater. The picture of sin in Leviticus 16 is sobering, but the picture of God is absolutely enchanting. The picture of God that we see in this text is, is a God that we would want to serve, would want to worship with our whole hearts. First, look at how patient he is. God is incredibly patient in this text. I think because the death of Nadab and Abihu is so sudden and so violent, and that then God immediately launches into chapters 11 through 15, where, where, where he, he fills those chapters with prohibitions and warnings about cleanliness, I think it's easy for us to get a picture of, of God uh, that he's harsh and that he's, he's prone to quick anger, like an overcorrective parent, always on the lookout for someone to discipline as quickly as possible. But that's not the case. Verse 16 in our text has some really surprising news. Hear with me again. Thus he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleannesses of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions, all their sins, and so he shall do also for the tent of meeting which dwells with them in the midst of their uncleannesses. Now remember, the holy of holies is God's special home. It's the place where all of his glory dwelled in, in this tent of meeting, the mercy seat was God's throne. It was part of his heavenly throne here on earth. Uh, many people consider it the, the footstool of God's throne, so to speak. Uh, and so his heavenly glory lived in the middle of this holy place. And apparently, throughout the year, all kinds of sin had been growing and spreading in the camp. Yes, they offered regular sacrifices, Yes, they confessed their sins, but apparently they didn't confess everything. And apparently their, their sacrifices did not cover everything. They, were, they still had unconfessed sins. And there were the high-handed sins that were not dealt with, with the regular routine sacrifices. Apparently, sin was still spreading amongst the people, and yet God stayed. God stayed with them. He didn't leave. He, he didn't strike the people down. He was patient with them, even to the point that sin had crept into his own personal throne room. And that's why the mercy seat needed to be atoned for with the sprinkling of the blood on it seven times and then seven times again. God was patient with his beloved people. 
patiently enduring their sin, waiting until this yearly, annual, deep clean to deal with it all. And then at the right time, when it was time to deal with their sins in this way, he comprehensively, completely cleanses them. There were two purification offerings, blood that sprinkled multiple times seven times over in the holy place and throughout the tabernacle and on the altar. Seven, as you know, is the number of completeness. And so the purification offerings and these multiple sprinklings of blood seven times over show us that the pollution of sin was completely purified. And then we hear that the consequences of sin were completely removed. The wages of sin is death, and there's death here. Two burnt offerings where the animals were completely consumed with fire. And then the the two purification offerings where the carcasses were taken outside of the camp and burned in the place of death. The scapegoat that was exiled from God's presence because of their sin. Verse 21 and 22, and Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions, all their sins, and he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. The goat shall bear all their iniquities on itself to a remote area, an area cut off, and he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. This is comprehensive forgiveness. Note, how often the word all appeared there. Nothing is being left out of God's forgiveness. Every single thing was dealt with. Every single sin was cleansed. And God hammers that home in verse 30. On this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. And if there was any doubt, any lingering doubt in the people's minds that in the years to come, God fully intended to cleanse them, God says in verses 32 and 33, the priest who is anointed and consecrated as priest in his father's place shall make atonement. Wearing the linen garments, he shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary. He shall make atonement for the tent of meeting and for the altar, and he shall make atonement for the priests and for all the people of the assembly. God's forgiveness is comprehensive. God's forgiveness is great. And the mercy doesn't just stop there. The reason why God was so patient and so forgiving was that he was so welcoming. The the entire point of all of these sacrifices was so that God could keep welcoming the people into his presence. Think back to the Garden of Eden. After the fall, Adam had to leave the Garden of Eden and he left to the east. And he walked to the east through the angel guards that were barring the way back. He left away from God's presence. Here, Aaron reverses that. Verse 14 says that Aaron enters the holy place from the east, and he walks in through the curtain that was woven with pictures of angel guards. He walks through the guards back into the presence of God with the blood of atonement. God was welcoming his people back. 
God's hospitality is the goal of the Day of Atonement. And it's not just for native Israelites. Verse 29 says that these ceremonies included both the native and the stranger who sojourns among you. So at this point in time, God is welcoming both Jew and Gentile, repent of your sins, be completely forgiven so that you can enjoy my presence. God wanted the nations to be a part of his people. What grace, what mercy is on display here. We heard, verse, we heard Psalm 24 earlier in our worship service. Psalm 24 captures the longings of the people since the Garden of Eden. It, it captures it perfectly. Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Well, the Day of Atonement achieved that. The Day of Atonement enabled the people to have clean hands and pure hearts so that they could stand in God's holy place. The promise of Leviticus chapter 16 is truly amazing. Most scholars see Leviticus chapter 16 as the narrative high point of the entire Pentateuch. And so that means that from Genesis through Deuteronomy, the climax of all of the drama is here at the Day of Atonement, where the curse of the fall is being undone. But as amazing as this text is, as amazing as these promises are, the fullness of the promise is yet to come. After all, only Aaron was able to enter the holy place, while the rest of the people had to stay very far away. And even when he went in, again, he could only come in once a year, only after a lot of preparation, and only with a lot of caution, and only for a short amount of time. And these rituals had to be repeated every single year. And so every year there was this buildup of sin, this buildup of a longing for a fresh start. And so God's patience, God's forgiveness, God's hospitality, as great as these are in this text, they're pointing us forward. He has great patience, great forgiveness, great hospitality that point us towards God's great Messiah, Jesus Christ, Jesus perfectly and permanently fulfills the day of atonement for all of God's people. Jesus is patient. Jesus is patient with us who are sinners. He describes himself as gentle and lowly, the friend of sinners. He patiently bears with us in all of our weaknesses. 2 Timothy 2.13, if we are faithless, he remains faithful to his people. And even his delay in returning is related to his great patience. Every Sunday we pray, your kingdom come. We long for Jesus to come again to bring his kingdom of glory and peace and healing to this earth. And so we wonder what's taking so long. Why the long delay? Well, Romans 2.4 says that he's being patient. He's delaying a long time so that more people can come to faith. Jesus shows us God's great patience. And Jesus achieves God's great forgiveness. Every single ritual here in our text, from the sacrifices 
to the sprinkled blood, to the scapegoat, bearing the people's sins far away. All of these rituals find their home at the cross. For Christians, the Day of Atonement is not the recurring holiday of Yom Kippur. For Christians, us, for us, the final Day of Atonement took place on the first Good Friday when Jesus died for you. And for me, in Christ, all of your sins have been fully cleansed. Every single one of them has been wiped away. You can enjoy a fresh start with God. In Jesus, we have complete, comprehensive forgiveness. And in Jesus, we have great welcome. Jesus welcomes us into God's presence with far greater intimacy than the people of God enjoyed in the Old Testament. The book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus took his atoning sacrifice not into the tabernacle here on earth, but into the heaven itself. And so now we don't need to wait once a year for a high priest to enter into God's presence. Now the people of God can enter into God's presence all the time. The temple curtain has been torn in two. So we have access to the holy place right now through the Holy Spirit all of the time. Hebrews chapter 10, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. All of that language comes from Leviticus 16. All of that language comes from the Day of Atonement. Jesus is our true Day of Atonement. And he welcomes God's people into God's presence. People from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Our sins are great, but God's mercy is greater. So how should we respond to this great mercy? We should receive forgiveness with great reverence. We should receive forgiveness with great reverence. Such great mercy cannot be taken for granted. Uh, Listen to verse 29 and verse 31. It shall be a statute to you forever that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict yourselves and shall do no work, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. Verse 31, it is a Sabbath of solemn rest to you, and you shall afflict yourselves. It is a statute forever. And so while the priests did the ritual work of sacrifice, the people did the personal work of repentance. Alan Ross sums it up perfectly when he says this, ritual alone cannot atone. That's the message in in Leviticus 16 for the people. Ritual alone cannot atone. Repentance needed to be personal. The people needed to personally receive their forgiveness with great reverence. And this is a good word for us. I think it's especially a good word for our covenant children, kids. When you come to church each week, you come to church with your parents, But God wants a personal relationship with you. 
God wants you to have your worship experience be personal. And you don't even have to read. You you don't have to know how to read in order to participate in worship. You don't have to be able to read all the words on the screen. You don't have to be able to read all the words that are in the bulletin. Every single week, you, when we confess our sins, you have the opportunity to personally tell God that you're sorry, that you're sorry for the ways that you have sinned against him. And every single week, every single Sunday, you get to hear God's personal word to you saying, I forgive you. Don't let Christianity just be your parents' faith, but take it up for yourself. Receive forgiveness with great reverence. And what, what might this look like in practice? I, I think Leviticus 16 gives us four steps to receive forgiveness with reverence. Here are the four steps. Take time. Humble yourself. Name your sin, all of it, and apply the gospel to your sin, all of it. And I've written up, you can get out that thing that I told you about, the thing in the bulletin. Uh, I wrote these four steps for you into a brief guide for confession. And I would urge you to use this sheet of paper this week. Set set aside uh, on your calendar an opportunity to use this to prepare especially as we come into Good Friday. Again, it's Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is going somewhere. It's going to the cross. And so as we celebrate that, as we pause on Good Friday to remember the first Good Friday, the ultimate day of atonement for Christians, it's important for us to be able to to do that well. So I urge you this week to prepare for Good Friday Uh, Prepare for that well uh, using this piece of paper that I've prepared for you. Uh, Here are the four steps when we break it down from Leviticus 16. First, take time. Uh, Take time. It takes time to fully appreciate the scope of our sin. The Japanese Old Testament scholar Nobuyoshi Kiyochi says it like this. He describes sin as a personal self-hiding from God. And I think that is so helpful. That image is so helpful. A self-hiding from God. And he rightly says it's extremely difficult for people to realize their own self-hiding. And if you've taken any time to confess your own sins to the Lord, you know that to be true. It's extremely difficult for people to realize their own self-hiding. And that is why God gave the people the entire day in Leviticus chapter 16, an entire day for them to focus on repentance. So take time for it. Don't rush it. Maybe you decide to take a lunch break this week, sometime this week, Uh, or you decide to take an entire day and just set aside time, 10 minutes every hour, to deal with your sin. Or maybe you take the entire day off on Friday, take the entire Good Friday day off for prayer and for reflection. Whatever amount of time you decide to spend on this, make space. Dedicate a little bit of time in your life to specifically deal with your sin. Take time. Second, humble yourself. Humble yourself. Twice in this passage, God tells the people to afflict themselves so that their bodies helped open up their soul for the work of repentance. Uh, When our bodies are humbled, uh, then our souls are much more open to spiritual correction. Our souls are much more tender towards the 
things of the Lord. And so this week, maybe try fasting. Uh, maybe you, you spend an entire day and you, you refuse all meals that day. Or during that day, maybe you just fast from extravagant foods or from your favorite creature comforts. Uh, John Calvin says that you can fast by only eating plain and simple foods. So maybe you do that. Or maybe you skip going to the gym one day. And so instead of sort of building up your body by going to the gym, you decide to, to let your body rest from that so that your soul has an opportunity to be open to the things of the Lord. Maybe you just spend 30 minutes reflecting on the penitential psalms in the Old Testament, these psalms that bring out from us a deep sense of repentance. However you choose to do it, humble yourself. And then third, name your sin, all of it. As the Westminster Confession of Faith says, Christians must repent of our particular sins particularly. And that's what we see here in verse 21. Aaron confessing over the goat all the iniquities of the people of Israel, all their transgressions, all of their sins. And so be specific. Be comprehensive. And be ruthless. Don't name your sin polite words. Name it for what it really is. Transgression, rebellion, wickedness uncleanness. And I, I personally benefit from writing it all down in a list, but however you do it, name your sin, all of it. And then finally, apply the gospel to your sin, all of it. After you've loaded down your conscience with a full list of your sins, then let the fullness of Christ's atonement remove that load and bring relief. Verse 30, again, you shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. And so again, be specific. Apply the specifics of Christ's sacrifices to your personal, individual sins so that by the end of the day, you are convinced that every sin is forgiven. Every guilt is removed. Every shame covered with grace. And what happens when we spend the day doing that? We might wonder, will this deep dive into our sin drive us into depression and gloom? Will it ruin our day to humble ourselves and list our sins? No, it won't. In fact, I, I can tell you personally, it will likely increase your joy and increase your love for God. I, and I can tell you this personally because I've done it. This is my testimony of God's kindness. In preparation for the sermon, I did what I've been asking you to do. I went through this list of four things during one particular day, and here's what happened. I started out the day confessing uh, what I thought were some pretty deep sins, but the Lord showed me that those are really just surface sins. And he had other things in my life that he really wanted to deal with. And so throughout the day, the Lord kind of drew me deeper and deeper into my sin and showed me uh, all of these areas of hiddenness, uh, areas where I had allowed frustration uh, to build and fester and, and rot uh, into anger and bitterness and, and as I saw those, and I sat with my sin before the Lord, the more I hated it, the more I lamented my sin, the more I cried out 
for mercy. And then I read this quote by Charles Spurgeon. He said, the blood of Christ is all sufficient. There is no sin which it cannot wash away. There is no aggravation of guilt which it cannot remove. And when I heard that, my soul was elevated with relief and gladness because in Christ, my sins were not the last word. In Christ, I had a fresh start. And then later in the day, when some frustrations, some familiar frustrations presented themselves to me again, instead of bitterness, I found myself moved with compassion and with tenderness. I found, to my surprise, that I had no appetite for anger. I felt a deeper commitment to fight against sin. And when I did fight against sin, when I resisted sin, I felt a great sense of joy and communion with Christ. Because when you take the time to scrape out all of that decay and get rid of it, then there's more room for God's mercy to come in and to take its place. And so looking back, it was not a burden to spend the day reflecting on my sin. In fact, it was my favorite day last week. And it was by far the most spiritually fruitful 24 hours that I have had personally in recent memory In Christ, God says it's cleaning day. And so open up your heart to Christ and his cleansing power. Let him deal with your self-hiding. Let him deal with all of the hidden places in your life and in your soul. And when you do, you will be clean indeed. Brothers and sisters, our sins are great, but God's mercy is greater. So receive forgiveness with great reverence this week. Let's pray. Our Lord, again, we thank you for this message of forgiveness. Full atonement. Can it be? Hallelujah. What a Savior we have in Christ. I pray that this week you would help us to prepare. uh, To prepare for, for next week. Uh, for the message of Good Friday and the story of Jesus' crucifixion, for the joy of Resurrection Sunday. Uh, I pray that we would make this a habit, that we would regularly spend time with you confessing our sins so that we could enjoy your presence all the more. We thank you for Christ. We thank you that his atonement washes us completely clean. We thank you that this doesn't have to be a a once a year restart, a once a year resetting. The Day of Atonement's already happened permanently for us. Thank you. And thank you that we can come into your presence even now with boldness and to enjoy fellowship with you and communion with you, enjoying, uh, enjoying intimacy with you through Christ. And so I ask now that as we turn our attention to the table that you would be with us here, that we would sense your presence, that you would feed us, and that you would gift us the joy that's found in you. We pray all of this in the name of Christ. Amen.